Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Peak Earth. I'm your host, Case Bradford. In this conversation with Tristan Scott, we talk a lot about his first hunting trip and his journey to become the man he is today. It's a wild ride. I hope you are prepared because Tristan Scott brings a wealth of wisdom and an energy that comes from living the life that he is meant to live. He's, he's walking the talk. Really enjoyed this conversation. I, I hope you do as well. And thank you for tuning in. Tristan Scott, how's it going? Hey, Case. Good to see you again. Absolutely. We linked up about a week or so ago, not, not too long ago. You were out here. We swam in the ocean, grilled some steaks. It was a great time. Yeah, I got the, the SoCal treatment from the, the expert the resident expert. And yeah, it was awesome. Uh, Case is a calisthenic expert as well. So he makes a lot of these workouts look really easy. Uh, I was definitely sore for a bit. Got to take it easy on, on climbing ropes. But yeah, it's amazing to get out to SoCal and in the uh, in the sun on the beach, get some grounding earthing in. Nothing better than that. It is great. And to be fair, you had just finished a pretty grueling, pretty intense amazing elk hunt out, out in the woods with your friend. Yeah, that's right. So I think what I flew out Saturday, we hung out Sunday. Um, that Thursday night was when I, I shot yeah my first ever elk. And uh, it was at the end of a, a, a grueling week is a good way to describe it. Over 40 miles of hiking and the most soul crushing two and a half mile pack out, which we had to do twice down a mountain carrying, you know, 70 plus pounds. So that was really fun. I mean, that's a whole new world that I've just tapped into. And I feel like I've kind of thrown myself into the fire uh, with learning and learning on my own. And it's been really cool, really humbling and uh, exciting to learn a lot of new skills. I feel like sometimes you get older and you can kind of just go with the flow, go with the motions for a while that you kind of do same workouts, you know, same kind of hobbies and stuff. And and you can limit yourself to new things and new learning. So I've been trying to you know, push myself to, to learn new things. And this has been probably the biggest one this year. It's really cool too. You, you've created some powerful threads on Twitter about your experience. And just seeing that as, as a third party, someone who's interested in, in challenge myself and, and having new experiences as well, it seems like a great activity to to try and, and to begin how did you decide to go and do that yeah it's it's kind of been building up for a couple of years so you know getting into the health space you know from self-healing perspective and we can talk more about that um but you kind of get really into the food system you get you know connected i started buying like half beef quarter beefs direct from ranchers starting three years ago as well so you get more connected to the food system and you start learning more about, you know, how everything works and you want to get the highest quality source food for yourself. And that kind of ultimately leads you to to hunting. Right. I mean, growing up in southern New Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia, you know, couldn't be more disconnected from the food system, from from hunting in general. But, you know, I was raised by uh, a mom who who was born and, and grew up in Austria. So there's at least some more connection there with food, you know, farm to table. But we definitely didn't grow up hunting or anything to do with guns. So, you know, you look back ancestrally, of course, that's the most consistent way. That's why we're here as a species, you know, tens and thousands of years of 
hunting successfully is, is what furthered our species. And I've always loved hiking and the outdoors. So to me, it, it seemed like a no-brainer, but it was kind of a multi-year process to get started. So first, you know, I had to get my residence in Wyoming, uh, which I, I bought a house here last year. So it's kind of just, you know, needed at least like uh, half a year to kind of get residence, get a license and everything. And then just trying to to get educated. It's really intimidating, actually. And that's why I posted some of these threads is because as kind of, you know, a, a 25, 26 year old trying to get into hunting, having never really shot a gun outside of in my friend's backyard, like twice uh, in upstate New York, you don't really know where to begin. And uh, I asked my brother-in-law because he had grown up in, in Montana hunting a bit and, you know, he had some familiarity and you know, he's a big fisherman. So he told me to check out like the fish and game website. And he kind of told me how like working or putting in for tags works. So it's like this whole complicated process and each state is very different. So I'll say that there's number one and he's, you know, he grew up in Montana. So Montana to Wyoming is very different, but either way, it's this whole like learning process. And ultimately, you know, you put in for tags and I put in for like everything because I didn't, think I was going to get what I wanted. And I was researching like what zones had the best odds. So I put in for, you know, a buck, a deer, um, an antelope, and then elk. And I got all three. So I was like shocked. And I, I sent it to my friend back in, in New York from college. And he's a, a deer hunter. And he was super stoked. So then I realized, you know, I needed to buy a rifle. So then I bought a rifle and, you know, started practicing. And, and he helped me kind of get through that process. But in general, even that, like there's so many new, you know, terminology, the vernacular, you know, what caliber, what kind of um, grain for, for the am ammunition that you're using, what, what do you need for the animal that you're hunting, you know, what type of environment are you going to be hunting in, what type of gear do you need, um, then you need to, you know, practice a lot, you need to get the rifle sighted in, you need to go to the range to practice, and then you need to go scout the zone that you're going to hunt. So it's like all this preparation and I was kind of just winging it. And I ended up having an issue with my rifle like a month before the planned elk hunt, which is, was in the beginning of October. And I had to send it back to the manufacturer. So I literally had no rifle three weeks before this hunt and I had to buy a different caliber. Well, I chose to buy a different caliber rifle so that I could have a, a different rifle when the other one gets fixed, I wouldn't, you know, want to buy same the same caliber and have have two of the same thing. And then I just put the, the the scope that I had on the old one, on this new one. And uh, yeah, so I had three weeks to kind of practice with this new rifle I'd never shot before, get that sighted in. And I was kind of very uneasy and not confident about like my accuracy at the range. So that's what's really funny about this. And then I scouted the zone, you know, briefly beforehand. And there's all these like dirt roads. So you definitely need a four wheel drive vehicle. And, you know, kind of just sent it. My friend flew out from New York. Uh, as I mentioned, he grew up hunting deer in stands. So compared to what we did, it couldn't have been more of like a polar opposite in terms of hunting styles. But he was super helpful with, like I said, picking out the gear and everything. But yeah, you know, that that week, it's it was probably the hardest thing that I've ever done over like a cumulative week, maybe like hiking a multi-day hike that I've done in, in Colombia was kind of up there as well. Um, I've ran a marathon, but that's kind of like the training really sucks. And then, you know, three and a half hours of 
torture is, is pretty terrible, but you know, a whole week, um, five, five, six days of, you know, sleeping like five hours a night, waking up at four thirty-five in the morning, getting up, you know, hiking in and just looking for, for any sign, you know, hiking with weight, you know, doing that twice a day, staying up till, uh, the, the sun goes down and then you got to get back to your car and it's like an hour drive down this dirt road to get to the campsite. So it's just an exhausting process. And throughout the entire week, now we hiked 40 miles, probably five whole days. We saw elk for probably a total of like 40 minutes. So they're only out like really early at first light and last light during the evening, unless you get lucky and like stumble upon one sleeping in the middle of the day, which we did, but then they just run away. So yeah, uh, the, the last night we were there kind of just tried out a new spot after not having the best of luck Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, we had some better luck, but couldn't close the deal. It was literally our first day. So we had no idea what we were doing. And, uh, yeah, I had never taken a shot at the shooting range further than 300 yards. And at 300 yards, I was probably like 20% accurate at that point. Like I said, not very confident. And even my last shooting range uh, session at 200 yards, I was super all over the place. I don't know. It was the day I left. So I was just in a rush, like mentally not in a great place. But yeah, it just worked out. Um, shot, you know, spotted an elk and then really got ready in like five minutes, got all the gear and took a Hail Mary shot from 405 yards and dropped them in one shot. So it was, it was the craziest experience of my life. And then, you know, we were almost crying in tears, like across the mountain, looking at this thing. And, you know, I told you in person when I pulled the trigger, I had no idea it was going to even get close. And all I hear my friend say, he just looks at me, he's like, you dropped them. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> so that was crazy. But then Things got really serious really fast. You know, went over there, took some pictures, and then we we're like, all right, seven thirty at night. It's already dark. We, you know, we haven't even started skinning and gutting this thing, which is a whole new experience within itself. So you think shooting, tracking, camping, hiking, all that is really challenging. Then you actually are successful and you have to harvest the animal quickly, efficiently, and uh, in a manner that you can get down to your vehicle safely. So that's learning on the job is literally just sums up everything that I've, I've done hunting. And yeah, it was, it was super cool. You know, my friend, again, he, Dakota, he field dressed deer plenty of time. So similar body structure. So, um, that was helpful and it was helpful to have two people again, if he wasn't there, I don't even know what I would have done because there's just so much meat and uh, we only took two trips, one that night, and it was absolutely grueling and pitch black. So just with our headlamps, it was super dangerous going down like a very steep slope. Like if you're a skier, probably like a black diamond style steepness with 60, 70 pounds on your back and uh, no trail uh, and then cross a creek. So, yeah, it was it was it was wild. Uh, the next morning was better and then just absolutely exhausted. So. But wow, you know, when you when you uh, eat the animal that you harvested yourself and you just think back to that moment, you think back to the work that you put in throughout that whole week to have the opportunity to eat this, you know, majestic creature that 
I mean, if you want to talk about untouched, this is up in the national forest of Wyoming in the wilderness area. Like there was nobody around us for like seven miles. That's got to be, you know, the purest meat you can find. No additives, no glyphosate on the grass, no nothing, just pure elk. So it was exhilarating. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's next level, man. And to think that you had never done this before, wanted to get into this. It took years of planning. Um, that you know things didn't go perfect leading up to that, but you, you stuck with it, and then eventually the moment came, the culmination of all your preparation, where you were looking at a shot that was probably low probability given given your experience up to that point. What was what did you feel like? within that time frame, those five minutes where you sighted the elk across the ridge, you were getting everything ready and sighting up the shot. How did that, how did that feel? Was it nerve wracking or were you, was it adrenalizing? Yeah, it was a combination. And, and what was cool was uh, earlier that week on, on Monday evening, we stumbled upon three juvenile elk and we got, we saw them at like 500 yards. And then that was when, at this point, we had no expectation to like, I don't know if we saw an elk, we were going to be happy. Like we didn't even know what to expect. We were literally just walking around the wilderness of Wyoming with hunt, with an elk tag, just hoping for the best. You know, we knew what we were doing. We knew they were in high ground. We know when they come out, but whatever. We stumbled upon these three elk and it got real, real fast. And we're like, all right, how do we close this distance? I told him, I was like, you know, it'd be great if we could get to 300 yards feel a lot more confident and I, we got to like 350 yards and we kind of spooked them and I could have taken a shot at like 350 360 but again I wasn't super confident never taking a shot that far like maybe one in five chance so then we realized as the week went on that was like our opportunity that was the golden chance you know we kind of got lucky first day I mean my friend was like wow what a story that would have been first day hunting in his entire life shoots an elk um, and I was like, well, we got plenty of trip left, you know, and, and, and we were optimistic the entire time and we were happy to put in the work. So when, when I, when I glassed that bull elk across, across the valley, um, and we kind of scrambled right away, I told my friend and he was like, I'm going to go run and get the bags. Cause I glassed them. It looked really far away. And the one thing I will tell you that hunting teaches you is that our depth perception at long distances is absolutely horrible. I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, that looks so close. And it's like 900 yards away, or I can't even get a range. And then this guy was across, you know, the the mountainside. So down the valley, across a creek, up the other face. And I, I ranged him at 550. And I was like, we had talked the whole week. If we get a shot at 400 or less, we're taking it. Like I'm taking it because of the missed opportunity Monday. And, you know, my friend, he ran and got the stuff right away and we saw a little path we could take to kind of get down uh, a bit and close the distance. So we did that and then we got to like 440 and then we found another path to kind of really get about as far as we could possibly go to a cliff's edge. And then 405, we're like, all right, perfect window. This is it. You know, he, he threw down both our backpacks. I got out my bipod, which... I had never shot this rifle with the bipod on it. I literally put it on there the Saturday, the day before the trip, and I wanted to shoot it at the range. 
with the bipod on there, but I didn't have enough time. So, you know, complete never shot in this position. So that's the other thing I wrote about in my, in the one thread It's like, and I've realized since hunting antelope too, like you're never going to be in some like comfortable ideal position. And, and that's actually one of the hardest parts, um, you know, getting a window and then getting in the right position. And, and I just got down, got everything out. Like I said, my friend stacked the backpacks up, put the bipod on top of that and, you know, tried to get them on the scope and got comfortable and it worked out. It was kind of like the perfect height and I was able to see him. And then from there, he kind of like was turned inwards. So I was just waiting for him to get broadside. And that probably was like another 30 to 60 seconds. And then I was just talking, I was like, all right, um, I know my ballistic drop. So I was telling my friend, I was like, all right, I know I have a 36 inch drop at 400 yards. So I basically have to just aim three feet high. And um, yeah, that's, that's what I did. And, you know, they say to kind of release your breath slowly and then pull the trigger on empty. So you're, you're not jerking as much. I think I did that, or at least I tried. And uh, yeah, that's when you pull the trigger as well. Um, something I was like, you know, you always wear uh, ear, earplugs at the uh, ear protection at the shooting range. I was like, do I need earplugs? He's like, no, you won't even hear it. And that was totally correct. Like I, I pulled the trigger and you just almost like hear the echo in the valley. There's nothing else. I mean, there's literally nothing else around and you just like get this tunnel vision. So it's kind of a hectic five minutes, but it was almost like hectic enough to where I was distracted. So I couldn't be that nervous. And then I didn't have enough time because it was, it's such a short window of opportunity that it almost worked out to where I didn't really feel super nervous. I was just like, Hey, this is such a great opportunity. Like let's get set and let's see, you know, see what happens. Yeah. That's the kind of rush that most people will never experience being able to tap into ancestral roots as, as an animal taking another animal's life to bring its energy into your energy. This is a, an ancient art that dates back to the time when we were wild homo sapiens roaming the savanna and, and this activity that we call hunting has led to the evolution that, that we're at now, not just from the wild animal energy that we were consuming, but also from the activity that the difficult um, strategy and, and, and physical and really every, from every angle, it's, it's a challenging to, to, as an animal to take another animal's life. And then, and then you had to carry it home as, as you were running to the, the kill, what was it like when you first got there and laid your hands on, on the elk? Yeah. I mean, there was, there was not really any running cause we had to go, you know, down and then up like 700 feet. So it, we tried to go fast, but by the time we got there, we were like so exhausted. And I mean, the first thing you realize is just how massive these animals are. I mean, you know, they're, they're absolutely huge in comparison to like a, a deer. It's just, you know, almost probably twice the volume and uh, they get really swelled up, which is kind of crazy. And then, yeah, you try and just lift the head up and, you know, you're so thankful. You're like, wow. Um, I was also lucky because yeah, like I, I got him in one shot and it happened to be right through the liver and he, he went down immediately. So a, it's a benefit for us 
not having to you know dig through the trees if you kind of got like 100 yards away or maybe even further and then b it's a benefit for for him you know you want to give him a quick and easy death um you know so he's not struggling for you know an hour or something like that 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 really would be terrible so i was very thankful for that and uh yeah you kind of just are super thankful and it all comes together so quickly you almost don't even have time to think about it too much and because we just had to get to work from there but wow what you know what an experience and uh yeah you, you mentioned a lot of great points right there so and what was important to me was to kind of do it this way right so hunting gets a bad rep uh a lot in the mainstream media and i think some of that criticism is, is almost fair because some of these guys they're just doing this the absolute wrong way and obviously, you know, with modern technology, hunting has become like so, so much um, easier for like someone who is kind of average skill level. And that's that's what I like to say, because I definitely am not an expert shot. And I was able to, you know, with some some fortunate events, um, get two animals already into my first season. But I've also put in a substantial amount of work. And the reason why I said that's important to me was because. I didn't want to hire some guide. Um, I'm doing this all on public lands. A, I don't want to pay someone. And B, like I really wanted to learn myself um, because I think this is a skill and an, uh, you know, a hobby or whatever you want to call it that I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. So maybe I have 50 more years of hunting. So imagine the skills and the knowledge of the environment. I mean, I already know, like I'm going to ask my family for Christmas to, to send me like all the the native species, the plant species, anything on on the environment, Wyoming, because I wanna I wanna become an expert in you know my own environment. I feel like that's something that was so lost. You know, ancestrally, everybody knew every plant, berry, animal, rodent in their environment. They're experts of the land, and that has been lost uh, generationally, and it's really sad. But you know, getting back you know, into the woods, into the mountains for multiple days, no service pretty much. And really just trying to track animals is, is such a great way to reconnect, but also doing it the most challenging way possible with pretty much no help, no experience. So that was definitely really important to me to kind of learn the hardest way possible because A, I feel like it's the most admirable and B, I would learn the most, you know, there's guides who pretty much would be like, oh, yeah, go here. And there's we know there's going to be an animal up this area. We already scouted it. And some guides will even, you know, some people won't even carry any of the meat out. And then some people won't even eat it. You know, they're just in it for the trophy, which is totally wrong. I mean, I I got my elk, of course, I got it. I'm getting it mounted, um, the cheaper mount, not like paying a thousand plus dollars. Um, but really, just the meat and the experience was more so why I'm why I'm doing this. Um, the trophy is, you know, it's, it's such an afterthought. So hunting definitely can get a bad rep. I think absolutely there is some folks out there not doing it, you know, the most admirable way. Um, but that's with everything. There's a spectrum and there's always going to be outliers who give the industry or the space a bad name. But I would like to challenge anybody who is against hunting to kind of go through what I did in a week and say, you aren't humbled by this experience and what it takes to get an animal. 
And some people on Twitter were like, oh, you just like to kill for fun. I was like, no, (laughs) like that's just not what it's about. I mean, that's couldn't be further from the truth. And, you know, it, it was nerve wracking thinking about that. But after you put in the work and you see the returns in terms of the high quality protein and just life experience, you realize that that's not even remotely what it's about. And uh, you're just excited to continuously learn and have more experiences like this for the rest of your life. Sounds much more to me just from listening to you that this is about respect. It's about respect for nature, honoring your own nature as a human being, as a hunter. You know, some say we're hunter gatherers, but as a man that we're likely a hunter, women likely do a lot of gathering. This was the way that our species evolved over time. And as a hunter, as a homo sapien, reconnecting to those roots out in nature, experiencing the, the deep struggle of, of acquiring that prize, it's not a light task. People, people will go and, and train for marathons like you did, and, and it's an enormous amount of training, more amount of, enormous amount of time, and then you go and you run the thing, and maybe you blow your knees out, and everyone you know, congratulates you. Wow, what a great achievement. You ran a marathon. Take a medal. Like, wow, Tristan's the best. But hold on. Like... Did you get, you know, 100 pounds of meat from that? If you compare those two activities, they're pretty comparable in terms of challenge and struggle. Um, but and on one hand, you're reconnecting with nature and, and I'd say going through a pretty healing rite of passage in a way versus something like a marathon, which is may not be doing your body favors in the long run, running, you know, on concrete, uh, all those many miles. I Man, that's it's it's such a powerful way of, of thinking because I so few people hunt, and I also I don't think many people are successful when they do hunt. I, I believe it's you're more likely to leave the woods empty-handed. Yeah, well, totally. So I also want to say that like the this was such a more of a multifaceted challenge, right? I mean, you know, I'm not like in the gym on the stairmaster hiking with like a twenty pound bag or bringing my rifle to the gym, like <laughs> training for a marathon, like. I trained for a marathon in 10 weeks. It was actually the most absurd shit I've ever done in my life um, because I came off my concussion just super eager and that's why I messed up my knees. But it's like, you know what you're going to do. You're going to run 26.2 miles. So you know how to train, you build up and slowly, you know, when you're in the mountains, I mean, you know, you see an elk, you're like, oh, I have to run across this ridge to try and get within 200 yards to take a shot within 10 minutes before they get to the tree line. You don't see them for the rest of the day and you have 15 pounds on your bag. There's rocks everywhere. Like you can't train for the, you can't, you can hike. I hike all the time. Great hiker. And I was wiped. So that, and then, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, an experience that is, or challenging because my zone had like a 40% success rate. And I realized after talking to some folks, so the whole campground, there's like 10 spots was all hunters and the only thing we saw come back was a, a black bear. Some guy was successful, but nobody else, everyone was hunting elk and no one was successful so far in that first week. And they were like, yeah, all the elk are hanging out on this, this private land, the ranches in the lower half of the southern half of the zone. So if you think about it, and I have other friends in Wyoming who said they hunted in, in this zone before, but they knew a rancher who had elk on his property. And, you know, you go out on his land and the rancher's land and you just have a much higher chance of success. Is it cheating? I don't know. I mean, it's pretty much just making it easier to be successful. You still have to put in work, but I mean, 
it's just not even comparable. So at that rate, public land in that zone, I'd imagine it's got to be like 20 to 25% success rate. So yeah, it's even better to, to know that. Um, it was more, more so against the odds, but yeah, compared to a marathon, it's, it's, it's just way less linear in terms of what you can do to, to train and way more variable in terms of what you're going to need to do to be successful. And unfortunately it's, it's less appreciated despite those, those advantages and, and those significant differences. And the, the pack out also sounds incredibly difficult carrying you carried 70 pounds, two and a half miles over what sounds like a double black diamond terrain. So incre- <laughs> incredibly unstable and, and difficult. And then like, how, how long did that take? How long does it take to, to carry 70 pounds, two and a half miles? Over yeah. So the first half mile was, was the really steep part. So that was, that was the most challenging. And yeah, I mean, the weight I don't really know for sure, but it, it was, let's just say around, you know, 50 pounds on my back and another 25 in my hand. And then my friend had more on his back, but less in his hand. So it probably two hours, um, it took us to get down and then we got on the trail and then another two miles from there. And then, yeah, so two hours total. Cause I think we or no, sorry. It may have been three hours, but some of that time was spent kind of stashing. So let's say two and a half, three hours in the dark. And then I think the next morning, probably like two hours. So it's uh yeah, you know, one mile an hour. <laughs> so. Any, anyone listening, try and emulate that pickup a 70 pound kettlebell and try and farmers carry it, uh, you know, two, three miles, even, even in, in good conditions around your neighborhood during the day and, and see how that, see how that goes. A lot of stops, like kind of every 150 to 200 yards we stop for like a minute to two minutes. Like, yeah. And, and, you know, I'm pretty fit. Uh, my friend Dakota is, is even more fit than me, or at least he's a lot stronger than me. So yeah, it's not like we're two guys like rail thin going out there, not doing much training. We're we're pretty fit, and uh, that's you know everybody in our campground was like, yeah, that's why we don't go more than a mile from our car because uh, we can't, we physically cannot do that, and that's why a lot of people also have horses or mules or llamas. So we learned that there's other ways to do this, and uh, it's kind of badass that we did it the hardest way possible first. Uh, so now you know. It could never, it could be equally worse, uh, equally as bad or just better, you know, from now on. It is absolutely. And how has it changed the way you see the world and the way you see yourself following that experience? Like everything that's kind of humbling and extremely challenging, it just makes, makes everything else seem like not too bad. So like this week I've been hunting antelope like near my house, uh, in Wyoming and, you know, I've been, I've been hiking a good amount, but it's probably like a fourth of what I did, you know, for the elk. And then I got an antelope uh, yesterday morning and, uh, you know, I antelope are a lot smaller. So I was able to kind of just pick it up and throw it in my car. And, and luckily I was able to, you know, drive my car right next to the carcass on BLM land. So, um, you know, sometimes it was getting pretty tough and I was kind of just chasing these speed goats around is what they're called. And I was like, damn, they just, you know, this is tough. You know, I got to got to go up and try to get up this ridge. And I'm like, ah, maybe I'll just call it for a day. I'm like, nah, just, you know, one more chance. This is nothing. You know, what did you do two weeks ago? Like it was so much harder. And now, yeah, it just puts life into perspective, you know, lifting legs today at the gym. 
I haven't squatted in like quite some time. And yeah, it, it felt a little bit easier. I don't know why. You're just mentally stronger when you put yourself through such, you know, mind boggling of a challenge. You know, as, as David Goggins would say, you're, you're kind of callousing your mind. Stay hard. <laughs> Yeah, you've got another another great quote where is, you know, once you feel like you're you got nothing left, you've got another 40% in the tank. We've got yep. you know, this mental block. What what does um what does BLM stand for? Oh, Bureau of Land Management. So it's just public public land. Oh, cool. But that's a good point. Um and I'm not going to lie like I've missed that sort of challenge. Like I don't know why. I kind of enjoyed it. That grueling soul crushing because that's where I was always really, you know, strong. You know, I played soccer in college. I was always really athletic, but I was never the most skilled. So it's always about outworking everybody else. That's kind of where my bread and butter was as an athlete. And that's why I was so good at the marathon too. Like I literally went from week one running a 10, nine and a half minute mile to running week 10 uh, or week 11, I guess, the marathon uh, sub eight minute mile for the whole thing. And that's not normal for like that sort of progression, but it's, I've just been always able to kind of push one more in terms of like an endurance uh, activity in the gym. It's kind of hard. Like, you know, when you get to that last rep of pull-ups, you physically can't really do anymore. So it's not like you can push through some wall. Uh, It's more of like an actual physical limitation as opposed to a mental one. I mean, you can crank out maybe a couple more, but the form's not going to be great. And I'm I'm honestly not a fan of doing that. So that's why I've really missed like running. And that's why I like hiking because I just, you know, just push. And and that's where I've always had a strength mentally is is being able to dig deep. So it's been a while since I felt felt that. So I, I kind of was excited. I was like blasting music and sort of having a good and terrible time simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, there is there is this big sort of jackpot of of endorphins that you can access when you start really pushing deep into that well and it's like there's certainly a high from that that you cannot earn any other way. You you've got to really earn it. There's no there's no drug that you can swallow, snort or smoke. You you've got to earn it <laughs> through physical suffering and yeah, it really is one of the best feelings that that is available for us. Oh yeah. In addition to you, this is all something that has manifested and materialized in your life over the past month. Prior to that, you're also, you know, someone who's very passionate about health, fitness, and fixing our food system. You've also authored a book called Bitcoin and Beef that is in that vein. What is alive for you right now is as part of that journey. I know that this hunting is is an evolution of that where you're reconnecting back to the land, back to the most nutrient dense food, back to the deep um, wells of of the your own capabilities and, and instincts. And as we as we dig a little bit deeper in, into who you are and who you're becoming, what what is this part of you that 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 you are expressing um, through your book and, and through the content that you create online? Yeah. So it's really, you know, and I, and I can just start like why this happened. So I was always like pretty healthy. Like I said, I was, um, I played soccer in college. I played a lot of sports my whole life. So I've always been very active. I was thankful to have, you know, an immigrant mother from Austria who cooked pretty much every meal, was really big on whole foods diet and actually bought organic produce and everything like before I even knew what that meant. 
um, no soda or anything, processed foods, really minimal uh, in my life. And then, of course, you go to college and probably still healthier than most, but a little worse. And then, yeah, I suffered one too many concussions uh, after my senior year of uh, soccer. So thankfully, it didn't affect my my playing career, but probably uh, my playing career was the, you know, a, a combining factor. It, it's kind of like uh, your brain's really good at, at compensating for for multiple concussions, brain injuries, uh, whatever. And and this last one, I actually didn't know that I had a concussion. I kind of passed out and hit my head, so I, I wasn't aware. So that acute phase in the recovery was absolutely horrible. And as a result of that, I had post-concussive syndrome, which is basically just everlasting symptoms, uh, extreme fatigue, daily headaches, irritability for maybe 12 to 15 months. So over a year after that, and, you know, after going to neurologists and getting the old, just take it easy, ease your way back into your normal life, you know, slowly ramp up. And I went from, you know, being a college athlete, running, exercising for 30 hours a week to being able to barely walk across campus. And, you know, I was sleeping 10, 12 hours a day just to finish finish my coursework and, and be able to do that. Um, and that was pretty much all I could do. I was really in a horrible place mentally, but being a stubborn, you know, athlete mindset, I was pretty much like, this is bullshit. You know, how is there nothing I can do to help heal myself? And it was kind of this convergence uh, that also happened. So I was in Portland, Oregon for a summer internship, an engineering internship. And, you know, I had grown up camping and hiking, but then as all, you know, teenagers who are too cool to hang out with their parents and do everything like that. Um, and then school and sports becomes the focus. I really got away from that. Um, but that was really like a huge passion, you know, happy place for me growing up, especially when we would visit Austria. Like that was, hiking, going to the mountains, looking for mushrooms, like that was kind of stuff we did. It was super cool. So here in Portland, um, when I'm almost at my worst for symptoms, my roommate is, you know, he's really big into camping and hiking. And that's kind of what you do in Oregon every weekend. It's, it's beautiful in the summer. And uh, that was the only place that I kind of felt better. I don't know if it was the lack of EMFs or just, you know, no screen time at all, probably a culmination of that. And then, you know, just the healing grounding effect of being connected with nature, where I felt such a temporary relief in my symptoms. And we did some hiking, not like anything really crazy intense, pretty moderate effort. And I had no trouble with that. But then I would try to, you know, back in the city, back where I'm at the, you know, computer every day for work, I tried to go for a run, and then the next three days, like I can't get out. I pretty much can't do anything besides just like walk. I'm like totally wiped and everything. So then, yeah, I kind of started digging down the rabbit hole. I was like, all right, I'm on to something. Let me try and figure out how I can keep this momentum going. So I stumbled upon, you know, meditation and I started meditating every day, like religiously 20, 25 minutes a day, right when I got home from work, because that was kind of when my brain was at its you know highest level of threshold for for being overstimulated and that really helped and then from there you know podcasting was getting pretty big so I started listening to some podcasts you know Joe Rogan Ben Greenfield um, and then got turned on to like some supplements that were helpful CBD fish oil things like that 
And then I read, you know, a really powerful book, How the Brain Changes Itself, which pretty much just talked about neuroplasticity, that the brain can heal, um, which wasn't actually agreed upon in, in the medical field until like the last decade, which is pretty, you know, insane to think about um, in terms of medical breakthroughs. And there's still, it's such a black hole, like the brain, we know so little about the brain compared to every other body part. It's obviously the most complex and most important. I was hooked, you know, I was feeling better. I was like, well, let's keep this going. So from there, I just became obsessed. I read every book I could listen to every podcast, YouTube videos about health, you know, about diet, about lifestyle started, you know, trying to optimize my sleep. I was probably the first person that I knew that had blue light blocking glasses because screens drove me nuts. I actually, that was like the first biohack I ever had. And it helped tremendously um, just because eye fatigue was such a trigger for, for my head. And then, you know, fine tune diet, cut out all the process BS, played around with like low carb cycling. And then I graduated, everything, you know, was starting to feel better. I ran the marathon getting back. So I kind of got to a point where I could like start jogging. And once I could start jogging, the mental uh, clarity and benefit I got from exercise was, you know, phenomenal. And there's a lot of debate around what's the best form of exercise for you. And I'm a huge fan of strength training. Uh, I think that's obviously a big winner in terms of, you know, muscle preservation strength building, which is great for longevity. But if you want to talk about the best exercise for your brain, I think it's undoubtedly running or some form of cardio where you can really get locked in. And then I think the the BDNF, the brain-derived neurotropic factor release from running is higher than any other exercise. Um, yeah, you have to double check, but I'm almost positive that's correct. And I felt it. So then kind of progressive overload from there and things were just going a lot better. So here I am like, you know, a year and a half out from this brain injury and I'm feeling so much better. And I remember, you know, when I first got started, I was like, all right, I feel like shit every day. If I'm just 20% better than I am now, that's substantial. That is huge. Maybe I will never get back to where I was, you know, training three, four hours a day, collegiate level, having, you know, the ease of doing that on five hours of sleep, getting a master's of engineering degree simultaneously. Maybe I'll never be able to do that level of, of cognitive and physical activity. But if I can just feel 20 to 30% better, I will be so much happier. I won't be depressed anymore about the state of my life. So that's the mindset I had. And then, you know, every step is a huge progression. And then you're like, all right, how do I get to the next step? So from there, I was like, I've received so much benefit from this knowledge, this newfound knowledge of health and wellness and self healing. I'm, you know, I'm hooked, I, I want to learn more. And this is what I'm passionate about. You know, before I was passionate more about sports and, you know, partying and music concerts. Now I'm passionate about the outdoors and health and fitness and actually learning why these things are so beneficial for our body. And then you learn about health, you learn about nutrition. And I did a low carb diet for four months that helped tremendously. I know I talk with some of these guys like Noah has had some experience with, with brain injuries and 
keto is fantastic for brain injuries. Do I think it's necessary long term? Probably not, unless you have some serious brain injury that it's the only way you can kind of have mental clarity. But in terms of performance and everyday, you know, just lifestyle, I, I don't think keto is necessary. But, you know, carb cycling is, is a great option and playing around with that, trying new things, a lot of supplements. I was really big into supplements in the beginning. And I, I know we talked about that in L.A. It's easy to get hooked into like the AK, uh, the quote unquote biohacking world. But either way, I was really into it. And then you just naturally stumble upon the food system and you realize, wow, like everything that's marketed to us is just garbage. And if we just take control of what we're putting on our plate, the world could be so much healthier. Healthcare costs could be so much lower. Our healthcare system actually is only treating symptoms of disease. And that's, you know, what I experienced for myself too. It was, thankfully, I wasn't pushed on any painkillers, anything. I don't think I would have taken them, but they, they really weren't, they had no clue what was going on. And, and later I talked to some functional neurologists and things like that that are actually trying to solve the issue with my brain. And we did like eye, you know, eye saccade, like testing and uh, eye tracking and things like that. Balance, a lot of balance testing because you're actually trying to physically rehab your brain instead of just masking a symptom. So, yeah, you know, became obsessed with the food system, you know, and and now uh, I'm just trying to do right by by educating other people on this. So before I was really focused on the brain injury space. So I actually had a podcast with my good friend Alex uh, from college who had a similar story, actually crazily similar story as me. And we were both friends on the same soccer team in college. And he had unfortunately had to retire from collegiate soccer because of his uh, concussions. And uh, he became, you know, obsessed with health as well. We had a short stint, you know, doing podcasts and it was great to get some like functional neurologists and other doctors on the show and talk about healing. Um, but then it just grew so much uh, to so much more than that. You know, I, I really figured out that health coaching wasn't for me. You know, I was, I was trying to leave my mark. How can I do the most good in this space? And for me, I really, you know, got into the food system. Uh, I moved to Salt Lake City. My sister lives in Wyoming. So I was like buying half beefs, quarter beefs, getting connected to ranchers. I was, you know, riding horses on ranches, moving cattle. I was like, this is, this is awesome. Like, this is so cool. And then you learn about regenerative farming through the likes of, you know, Sacred Cow and, and White Oak Pastures, Joel Salatin. And, and all these folks, you know, like, wow, there's actually, you know, we can fix our food system and raise, you know, highly nutritious, uh, or sorry, we can fix our environment and, and raise highly nutritious food at the same time. So it just sort of culminated for me that that was where I wanted to live in the health and food sphere. I wanted to kind of make regenerative farming and, and ranching and educating upon what I think is the most nutritious food in the world, animal foods, uh, to people. Uh, and then, yeah, my book uh, I wrote in 2021, and that's kind of the culmination of my other passion, which is Bitcoin and pretty much financial sovereignty, which also culminated the past few years for the same principle of 
taking control of your life. I had that taken away from me when I was injured and I had, you know, this terrible brain injury. And then how did I get that back? I took control and I did the work. I put in the hours and I tried things. I didn't, I wasn't afraid because to me, there was nothing to lose. So that's what I really believed in. And that's what I think everybody needs to have that mindset is you want to be in control of your life. Convenience is such a ploy by like big corporations. And it's nice every time and time. But really, if you're not in control of the daily decisions of what you're putting into your body, how you're living your life, how you're sleeping, what's in your immediate environment, and then what sort of things are you spending your money on and how is your money working for you, then you're really getting played by the system. And that's what so many of the wealthy people have figured out. And for me, it was like, this is a no brainer to write about this. This is so cool. And since then, I just am so shocked at how amazing the response has been how many wonderful people I've connected with on Instagram and on Twitter and in person at some of these conferences and meetups. It's like you meet the people that are so passionate about the similar things as you. And when you're kind of like this, you're on the fringes of, of what people like our age are kind of into. So it's really cool to share some of these passions and, and kind of geek out and talk about, you know, how can we further the message? Because that's what this is all about, is furthering the message, getting more people educated on these topics. So they can ultimately, you know, what what you asked me at the beginning of this like 15 minute rant, what is, you know, what am I, you know, doing? What, what am I, you know, getting involved in? What's the ultimate goal? And the ultimate goal is to live the most optimal life and to empower as many people as possible to do the same thing because it is available to us. We just have to tap into it. Powerful riff. (laughs) (laughs) A lot there. And man, it really resonates with with me as well. Um, I definitely experienced some brain damage growing up and then in the college, just from abusing alcohol and, and having, eating a lot of junk food. And, and I remember one time, uh, like it was during a Super Bowl party, went up to do a keg stand. And then all of a sudden I was like on the ground. I didn't know how I got there and people were around me and, and they said, you, you passed out and you were foaming at the mouth. And I, was, I don't remember any of that. There's just, you know, a lot of us, we go through this sort of first 22 years of our life and it's kind of leads us in this hole as we as we get out of the school system where we're kind of force fed all these junk foods essentially and then a lot of growing up is either you know okay you're an adult you're either going to self medicate now with with pharmaceuticals and alcohol and you're just going to sort of get by with that game plan or you're going to do what you did which is figure it out get to the root cause and empower yourself to continue to evolve and share that knowledge to everyone else so that we can all be empowered and, and share our light and do what we're here on this planet to do. It's it's not going to be to cower and be medicated from alcohol and 
all the pharmaceuticals that are being pumped out into people to, to get them through the day. There's another option through fitness, through nutrition, through nature, which is really accessible. And it feels amazing. It feels way better than anything you can get from the Western industrial model, which is just going to be like junk food, pharmaceuticals, and alcohol. And one thing that, that was really coming to mind to me uh, while you were describing your story and your progress into the man you are today is, is, is a deep sense of, of purpose and, and meaning and drive. Most people would have succumbed and, and stayed in that place of, of darkness and, and despair. What, what is it that kind of drove you up, uplifted you in, into this place now where you have a grip on this and you're able to share it with others and help them get to that place? You highlighted the options really well. And it is it is crazy how many people, even our age, are like on antidepressants or just, you know, self-medicating is the norm, whether it's alcohol or drug abuse. And it's really sad to see that because that's almost like the norm nowadays. Like everybody, you know, that's kind of our age is like going out every weekend, doing coke and getting fucked up still, which, you know, we all did some level of that in college I did had my fair share as well and that's why like I'm so okay with like parting ways with that like because I had that experience and it's just not conducive for me to live what's an optimal life uh, and what I want to achieve you know that would take me one day of that would take me out for like four or five days you want to talk about like circadian rhythm disruption and just detoxification needed but you know you ask me how did I kind of tap into that? And like I said before, when, when you're, you go from such an extreme of like activity and, and I guess just productivity to not being able to do much at all. It's really hard. You know, some people, maybe it's a slower, it's a slower drop off and that's why it's harder for them to get out of their hole. But when it kind of just happens all at once, you are almost like, you just, you just kind of go crazy. You're like, how is this real? Like, and, and that's when you can become super depressed, which is okay because that's a normal thing to occur. You know, when something substantially negative happens in your life, you get depressed. But if that lingers around for too long, that's when it becomes like a real problem. And you have to start thinking about how you can get out of this. So, you know, at first for me, it was, it was looking to medical professionals to help give me an answer. I was getting more tests, EEGs, MRIs, and that let me nowhere. And then I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to try the, the other things. And, you know, then I was observing my own environment. What was making me feel better or worse? And then, you know, from there, I was just so stubborn because I was, I was not accepting that this was my fate at 22 years old. I had my whole life in front of me and I had I had big plans. I don't know what it was, but I've always been extremely ambitious in terms of what I wanted to accomplish. But, you know, looking back, it was a life defining moment for me to have that injury. And I wouldn't be here, you know, talking to you and have made such a wonderful community and impact in the health, wellness and Bitcoin space today if none of that happened. So uh, it was all meant to be. Things could have gone better, but it wouldn't perhaps not lend me to, to the knowledge I have today, which is so, you know, so powerful. And you just have to understand, you know, 
things in life are challenging, but you are capable of so much more than you think you are, but you're not going to get there in one day. So like what I said earlier is you just have to take it step by step. If you're in a dark place or you want to achieve something, you have to kind of map out how, how are you going to get there? Or, you know, if you feel 10% better in three weeks and then in four months, what percentage better could you be feeling compared to when you first started? And you have to tap into that sort of mindset that it's a progression. It's not going to just, you know, maybe you lost a lot of, uh, you know, you lost it really quickly or really slowly, but it's not going to be really quickly to get to where you want. It takes time and effort. So you just got to outline what that looks like and, you know, give it a shot. What do you have to lose? Are you happy right now in your life or are you kind of just going through the motions? Are you waking up with an identity crisis like most of the people in their mid to late 20s or early 20s after they graduate college? Because, you know, maybe they're an athlete their whole life or they're in some club in college and high school or, you know, you go to you go to high school to get ready for college and then you go to college and you get a degree to get a job and you get this job and you sit there and you hate it. And that sucks. But what are you going to do about it? You have so many options. You have the world at your fingertips in terms of knowledge. Use this stupid ass phone that you probably spend too much time with watching reels and TikToks and spend two hours a day researching or learning a new skill. And within one to two years, you could be in a completely different situation mentally physically and there's just no excuse for people to really feel bad for themselves when all of this is available to you and if you don't like where you live move you move to LA on a whim and you love it there you love going to the beach every single day I was working remote during COVID and I was in Dallas, Texas, and I hated every minute of it because I felt like I was in a concrete jungle, sweating every day, and then just locked in an AC apartment. It was horrible. And I moved to Salt Lake City where I ski 40 days a year and in Wyoming where there's so much nature to connect with and so much knowledge to be learned. And now we're both in so much better of a situation mentally because we acted upon it. Your life's not going to change if you just wait for it to change. Boom. Tristan Scott, thank you. That's what it's all about, man. And we got a lot left to go. So I'm excited for us and I'm excited for everyone in this space and community to see what we can accomplish.